So I hope that you have your Bible, maybe grab some coffee, make yourself comfortable. We're going to dive into the Word of God today in the book of 1 Peter. We're going to study this book uh, for the next few weeks, and it's a book that I think is extremely timely uh, for, the, for the time and the circumstances that we find ourselves in right now. I was thinking this week about a trip that I took in 2011 in May of that, or actually in June of that year. We took a trip to Joplin, Missouri just a few months prior to that on May 22nd of 2011. An EF5 tornado had ripped through the town of Joplin, Missouri, leaving a, a path of devastation that was about a mile wide and about six miles long. Uh, we went there, we saw the town. I mean, it was unlike anything I'd ever seen in my life. It just looked like someone took a bulldozer that was a mile wide and just bulldozed that town. And, and the suffering there, the loss was immense. And so we partnered with a local church who had set up a kind of a makeshift grocery store in their bus barn. And people from all over the community that had lost everything would come in there every day and they could shop for groceries and some of the necessities of life. And we would sit with them and kind of walk them through the grocery store, but there was an interview process and then they would shop for what they need. And at the end, we would try to share with them the message of hope that's found in Christ. And what I found as all these people were coming into this bus barn, they, yeah, they were looking for groceries and things that they needed every day, but what they were really looking for was hope. I remember talking to one lady that when they saw the tornado approaching, her and her nephew tried to run inside of Academy and, and she made it in, but unfortunately uh, he was killed in the parking lot of the Academy and she was just sitting there with, stream, with tears streaming down her face and my heart was hurting for her because she just felt so hopeless. She had lost her nephew. She felt responsible for that and stories like that were just uh, so numerous in that town. There was suffering everywhere. There were a lot of people whose lives were completely turned upside down by what they had gone through, the loss of life. Hundreds of people came through that week as we were there serving for a week, and they were looking for one thing. They were looking for hope. And maybe that's you today. Although maybe we've not experienced, maybe you've never experienced a tornado or something that's as devastating like that. All of us at some point in our lives are hurting or we're suffering. Charles Swindoll wrote one time, suffering is the common thread in all of our garments. Regardless of culture and country, time and eras, whatever it may be, regardless of whether you're rich or poor, the universal language that's spoken in every generation, in every culture, in every nation is suffering. All of us suffer, regardless of what the circumstances may be. And maybe that's you. You're suffering today. We've been suffering through some uh, incredible circumstances as a community and as a country right now. In Joplin, I was really just overwhelmed when we went out on one evening to look at the town to see the devastation in that community. And one of the buildings that I, that I was really drawn to was the high school. By the grace of God, there weren't any students in the school that day, but the entire half of the school was just crumpled in. The, the gym had collapsed down and walls had just been ripped off the school. It was unlike anything I've ever seen in my life. But there was one thing that I thought was really interesting. In front of the school was the, was the school sign, Joplin High School. But all of the letters of Joplin had, had torn off except the letters OP in the middle. And someone in the community, or maybe it was one of the rescue workers, had gone there and with some duct tape, they put an H at the beginning of that and then an E at the end, and it changed it from Joplin High School to Hope. And I think that picture really stood out to me uh, one of our one of the people on the trip had, had captured this picture and it really stood out to me because it really I think designated or showed what the people in that community were looking for in their most desperate times they wanted hope and so today I want to talk about hope 
hope, especially for those who may be suffering. Regardless of what you're going through today, I want you to know there's hope because hope is God's remedy for the pain of suffering. We're going to be studying through the book of 1 Peter for the next eight weeks or so, maybe even longer than that. And the theme of this letter is hope. And Peter is the man who's writing it, and he's writing it to an audience of people who really needed some encouragement. In fact, if you look at chapter 1 and verse 1, you'll find that the author of this book is Peter, and he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, Peter, if you know anything about his story, was a restored man. Peter had the wonderful and unique opportunity to be an eyewitness to the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. You'll recall that not only was he a disciple, but he was one of the inner circle of disciples. He got to see even some events that the others didn't get to see. He was the one that got to be a part of the transfiguration to see Jesus' body changed into its glorious state. You'll also remember from the Bible that Peter was the one who walked on the water. But one of the most devastating moments of scripture is in, in the final moments of Jesus' life on the earth when Peter at the Last Supper pledged his allegiance to Christ that he would be, be willing to even die for Christ. But if you know the story, you'll recall that on that night that Jesus was betrayed in the garden that Peter denied knowing the Lord. And in one of the most uh, devastating to me encounters in scripture, when Peter denied knowing the Lord, the Bible says that their eyes met and Peter went out and wept bitterly. He wept tears uh, of great sorrow but Jesus, after he had risen from the grave, came and restored Peter, and he gave him purpose and gave him commission. And so Peter became a leader in the early church. So Peter is the one who's writing this. He was a restored man. He had failed, but God had restored him. But you'll notice in verse 1 that Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, wrote this letter to those who were the elect exiles of the dispersion. The elect exiles, I, I love that that phrasing there, exiles are those who are sojourners or strangers or foreigners in a strange place. What comes to my mind is The Wizard of Oz. We, we, know, we uh, recently uh, purchased that movie to show to our kids. And if you remember that, when Dorothy steps out of Kansas and into the land of Oz, she tells Toto, I don't think that we're in Kansas anymore. And that's the idea here that, that is being portrayed by Paul. He calls them elect exiles. They were foreigners. They weren't in their home country anymore. I remember years ago that I was on a mission trip to Columbia and we were there on New Year's Eve. Now here in the United States, we have New Year's Eve traditions. We pop fireworks, friends get together. We have a great time. We count down the new year and you, you kiss your loved ones. But in Columbia, it's very different. In Columbia, they actually make these uh, kind of look like scarecrows. They're straw men. And on New Year's Eve, they burn the, the straw men and it's kind of a representation that that's the old year and now a new one has come. And I remember being there and seeing some of the things that were going on. Another thing they do is they throw flour on you. I don't really know exactly what that was about. So you'd go around the town and on this particular night, we went out and we were looking for one of those, uh, the, the straw men to burn up and, and kind of symbolize this. And we saw people going by on their motorcycles. They were covered with flour. And I just felt like, man, this is really so different and so foreign to me. And, and Paul calls them elect exiles because they were Jewish people who were spread throughout the world, but especially in Turkey, as he mentions them there in verse one. But I'm taken to, in my mind, to Hebrews chapter 11. If you've read that chapter of the Bible, in this great passage about the heroes of faith, the writer of Hebrews wrote that these heroes of faith all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. I don't know about you, but 
I'm feeling less and less at home in this world. I feel like the times that we're in are so strange and so difficult and we're moving farther and farther away from God, what seems with every day. And I find my heart yearning not to be in this place, but to be in a place where there is salvation and redemption, the place where I belong. When I was a kid, sometimes we would go visit my family up in East Texas. Both of my grandparents lived in Garrison, Texas, just north of Nacogdoches. And I remember as a kid, you know, I grew up on 539 Rainy River in Houston. And so that was my home. But when we would go uh, back to see my grandparents up in, in East Texas, my mom would say, I would hear her talking on the phone with someone and she'd say, well, we're going home this weekend. And I was always confused by that. Like, what do you mean we're going home? We are home. This is where we live, 539 Rainy River. But what my mom was, was saying with that was home was where she had been brought up. That was the place that was most familiar. But these people to whom Peter was writing, they weren't at home. They were dispersed throughout the world and throughout the Roman Empire. And notice in verse 1 that they were scattered, that they are elect exiles and they were scattered about among the people and among these different cultures and countries. That Many of them were scattered because of persecution. Some of them carried, if you remember from the book of Acts, they carried the gospel in Acts chapter 8 and verse 4 to the places uh, where they landed. They were a mixture of Jews and Gentiles. And the most important thing, important thing to know about these elect exiles that he's talking about here is that they were suffering. Fifteen times in this short book of the Bible, Peter refers to suffering. Some of them were suffering for living godly lives and doing the right thing. Others were suffering for the name of Jesus Christ. Others were being railed upon by unbelievers. In fact, in chapter 4, Peter tells them, not only are you suffering now, but there will be fiery trials to come. He wrote, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. We're strangers in this world. And when we suffer, we need to understand that that's not something strange. That's to be expected as believers of Jesus Christ. The timing of this letter, many scholars believe that it was written after July of 64 in AD 64 when Nero, the Roman emperor, burned the city of Rome because of his incredible lust to build and expand. And Nero, if you know anything about the history of this, blamed the Christians and a vicious persecution of Christians began in the Roman Empire. And so Peter wrote to encourage these who were scattered throughout the Roman Empire, who were being blamed for some of the problems uh, with the burning of, of the cities. Peter wrote to encourage them and to give them hope and to remind them that hope is God's remedy for the pain of suffering. And so Peter begins by drawing their hearts close to the source of encouragement and hope when we're suffering. Notice what Peter writes in verse two. Elect, elect exiles, verse two, according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Real hope is found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Real hope for your life is found in your relationship with Christ. 
I think it's important to distinguish here between what is real hope and what is false hope. We can see by both what Peter writes is hope and what is not mentioned in these verses. You won't find anything in here where Peter reminds them of the living hope that's found in their self-will or in their education or in church or in self-determination, not in community, not in country, not in politics, not in a job, not in more money. Real enduring hope that gives you peace in the midst of your suffering and your trials is not found in you. It is not found in your fellow man. If you draw from that source, Peter says, that's going to run out. In fact, if you look down to verse 24 of chapter 1, Peter says, for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls. In other words, if you're putting your trust in man, if your hope is in your fellow man, then you're going to be severely disappointed because man lives for a moment and then he dies. It's temporary. Real hope is not found in you. It's not found in your ability. It's not found in your education or our ability to come up with, with better uh, laws and better ways of doing things. Hope is not found in you. Hope is found in who has you. Hope is found in God. And the hope that he offers is the remedy for the pain of suffering and of trials. And to have that hope, you must have a relationship with God. And Peter is offering hope to these believers because of their relationship with God. Let's look at that relationship for a moment. First of all, in verse two, Peter shows us that, that, that salvation is a gift from God. He writes that they are elect exiles according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, that everything is about God. In fact, I want you to end the margins of your Bible right by verse two, or maybe in the comments if you're watching this morning, write down salvation is a gift from God. In verse one, they're called elect exiles. They're strangers. But in verse two, he says, according to the foreknowledge of God, God chooses us for salvation. First John chapter four and verse 19 tells us that we love because he first loved us. He loved us first. He chose us and he saw us in our brokenness and he chose us for himself. Notice also in that verse that we are sprinkled by the blood of Jesus Christ. Listen, no one has a relationship with God unless it is through the blood of Jesus Christ. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 9 and verse 22, the latter part of that verse said that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. We have no hope of a relationship with God if God didn't first choose us and offer the gift of salvation that comes from Christ. And we would have no hope for a relationship with God if Jesus Christ had not shed his blood. But notice also in verse 2 that we are set apart, are sanctified by the Holy Spirit, and we're set apart for obedience to God. And so when we face suffering, I want you to remember this, that God has a plan and a purpose for your life, that he has chosen you, that he sent Jesus Christ to die for you, that he set you apart by his Holy Spirit to live a life of obedience to God and to live a life of purpose and, and to be rescued from the suffering that we find ourselves in this world. Listen, God didn't rescue you just so that he could discard you, just so that he could leave you on the side of the road for nothing. God has a plan and God has a purpose for all of us. And we need to hear this today, that if you are a child of God, God has chosen you. That yes, you are exiles in this world, but you are elect exiles. That God has chosen you for his salvation. 
And so if you're a child of God, I want you to write this out in the margins of the Bible or just put it in the comment section here. God has chosen me. And there's a great joy and hope and comfort that comes through God's salvation. But you'll see also in verse three that there's an assurance of salvation. In verse three, he says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope, not a dead hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You'll find in the middle of that verse that God has chosen us for salvation, that he has given and extended salvation to us through Jesus Christ, but it is all according to mercy. It means that we do not deserve what God has given to us. God sees us with eyes of compassion. And since it's by God's goodness and love in our lives, we could never earn God's salvation and we could never lose it. Since it's not gained by good works, it's an act of mercy. It can't be lost by bad ones. And I know so many people, maybe even you today, that are struggling with that, that they feel like they want a relationship with God, but they want to earn it. But it's only by God's mercy that we are saved and have a relationship with him. If your salvation rests in you and what you can do, then the moment that you back away from God and you sin, then you lose your salvation. But thanks be to God that the gift that he gives of salvation is not something that's temporary, but he says, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I love that wording there, born again. It's an irreversible transaction. It's a spiritual rebirth. I remember when my oldest son, Luke, was in trouble one time and I was getting on to him about something he was doing and, and had to come down pretty hard on him. And at the end of that, he said, Dad, do you still love me? And of course, I told him my heart was broken that he was trying to wrestle with this in his mind, but I assured him of my love. And the reason is because he's my kid. He's my child. And one of the first things I think that we do when we suffer, when we're going through difficult times, is we forget our identity in Jesus Christ, that we are a child of God. We've been born into his family as his children. And because of that, Peter says, we have living hope, not dead, but one that is active and has living power. My, we were coming out of a restaurant uh, a while back and there was a fountain out in front of the restaurant and in the bottom of the pool, there were a bunch of pennies and coins. And so, of course, my kids saw it and they wanted to do it. And as they started to throw the pennies into the water, one of my kids said, make a wish. And that's what we often do, right? Before a birthday, we blow out the, the birthday candle, we make wishes. And I think that many people, when it, when it comes to hope, that's what it is. It's kind of wishing upon a star. It's just throwing a penny into a wishing well of sorts. But that's not what real hope is. You know, many people say, well, I hope I win the lottery or I, I hope my boy shapes up one day or I hope things get better. I hope that I can find a job. I hope that I can make it to the end of this month with the money that we have. But the hope that we have in Christ is not just throwing pennies in, in water at a well out or in a fountain outside of a restaurant. It is, the Bible says, a living hope, a real and active hope in our lives. It's not secured by flipping some coin into water. It is secured by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And because it's founded on the resurrection of Christ, because hope is founded in that resurrection, when the resurrection of Jesus Christ is reversed, that's when hope would be lost. But of course, that transaction will never take place. 
And because of that, salvation is eternal. So it is a gift from God that God has chosen us, that we are redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. But, but it is also, we have assurance of that salvation. It's founded and rooted in the resurrection of Jesus. And because of that, salvation is eternal. Notice what he wrote in verse four. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. When Luke was much younger, he played baseball and, it, and during his t-ball season they ended up winning the championship and he brought the trophy home that he got and the bat of that trophy broke off and Luke I remember was being was just so disappointed in that and looking back at my time when I was a kid I got all kind of awards and trophies for sports and different things that I participated in but eventually those things tarnish and they get old they fade away they break they break down but Peter says the inheritance that we have in Jesus is incorruptible it cannot go away. It's imperishable. It doesn't die. It doesn't fade. It's not cheapened in any way. An inheritance that is eternal and it is secure. Well, how do we know that? Because our inheritance is kept not in our power, but by the power of God. Notice verse five, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. If there was something that could corrupt our inheritance or our hope for heaven, then that thing would have to be more powerful than God. But verse five says that we are guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. God guarantees our salvation when we place our faith in what Jesus Christ has done for us. And when we have that hope of salvation in Christ, then when we suffer, we can rejoice because that last phrase of verse uh, verse five is key through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You see, as a believer in Christ, you have salvation now and God has worked in your life to do all that was necessary to pay the price for the penalty of your sins. But we also have future hope in that in that final day that we will be brought to the presence of God for all eternity and the power of sin in our lives will be completely broken but I want you to see the connection between our future hope and our present suffering because there is a connection. So Peter writing to these elect exiles who are suffering persecution under Nero, who are dispersed throughout the world and looking for hope in the midst of their difficult circumstances, he begins by reminding them of their salvation, reminding them of who they are in Christ and what they have in Christ and pointing them not only to their present salvation that they have now, but also the future hope. But there's a connection between that future hope and the circumstances they find themselves in now. Verse six, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Notice what he says, in this salvation you rejoice, even though for a little while you're facing trials. All the suffering of this life is temporary. If your hope is in fellow man, your country, your job, your money, your family, your friends, your hope will rise and fall as you suffer. When things are great, you're going to feel great and hopeful. But when things are bad and we're suffering, then we go really down. But hope is the remedy for the pain of suffering. 
And real hope is found in our relationship with Jesus Christ. That's how we face our present circumstances and our trials with joy. That's how we get through them and we become stronger on the other side. We know that our hope is not in this life. It's not in our country. It's not in new laws. It's not in a new culture. It's not in a new way of doing things. It's found, it's founded in and, and settled in Jesus Christ and his resurrection from the dead. Yes, there is ultimate salvation waiting for those who are in Christ. And whether that, that ultimate salvation is through death at the hands of persecution or sickness, a pandemic or an accident or old age, regardless of whether it's that or we live until the return of Jesus Christ, when our final salvation is in the presence of God, when our final salvation in the presence of God is revealed, we will be free from all pain and suffering. And that is our hope today. So hope is God's remedy for the pain of suffering. So in the midst of our suffering, we can, as Peter says, rejoice. Notice the first word of verse three is blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We can bless his name because our future hope is in Jesus Christ. And he continues in verse seven, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Notice, or, or try to imagine for a moment Peter's statement in verse 7. He says that there is something more precious than gold that perishes. And to the people of this time, that was the best and most tradable commodity. It was the thing of most value. If you had gold, that meant that you could buy food and buy and provide for your family. But Peter says there's something that's more precious than gold. And that thing is your faith. Because in the moments of suffering, when we have faith that our hope is in Jesus Christ, we can rejoice in our salvation because your faith is more precious than your family that might be taken away from you at any moment. Rejoice in your salvation because your faith is more precious than the United States of America. Rejoice in your salvation because your faith is more precious than your job that could be taken away at any moment and your security and your retirement and your house and all that you possess Rejoice in your faith. You see, if they come in and they take everything away from you, including your life, you still have Jesus and that's more than enough. That's the kind of joy and peace that an unbelieving world cannot understand. And maybe some of you don't understand that kind of joy. You're looking like so many of those people in Joplin were looking for. You're looking for hope. Maybe you've lost everything. Maybe you feel like you're, or maybe you're going through depression and you feel like there's just nothing for your life. I want you to know that there is joy and there is a peace and there's an assurance that Peter says is a joy that's inexpressible and it's filled with glory. It's a joy that we cannot really understand. There's a peace that passes all understanding and that's found in a relationship with God. I want you to notice the beauty of that emphatic statement in verse 9. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You see, at the end of all of this, we can say, I've been chosen by God. I've been sprinkled by the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm covered in him. I've been saved. I'm secured by his resurrection. 
I'm a child of God. No matter what I face, at the end of this, I win. And when we feel the pain of suffering in this life, the only remedy for that pain is the hope that's found in Jesus Christ. When the pain of suffering comes, there is only one remedy. And it was what was written on that sign in Joplin, Missouri. It's what Peter wrote to these scattered Christians throughout the Roman Empire. It's what also, it's also what a man named Horatio Spafford knew and wrote about when he wrote one of the most beloved hymns of the faith. Horatio Spafford was a wealthy businessman in Chicago and he lost most of his possessions in the Great Fire. And so after the fire, the Great Chicago Fire, excuse me, and after the fire, he sent his wife and four daughters on a ship to, to Europe and he was intending to join them there for one of the revival movements that were, that were happening. But the voyage for his wife and daughters was met by disaster. And Spafford received a cable from his wife with two words, saved alone. His daughters had perished in that accident at sea. And so Spafford quickly made arrangements uh, to join his wife. And when he, the ship that he was on was reached the spot where his daughters had perished, he wrote the most incredible words to one of the most beloved hymns. It is well, it is well with my soul. In fact, I want you to hear that song. I want you to hear the first verse and the, and the chorus of that song. And as that song is playing this morning, I want you to really think about this question. Is it well with your soul? In your suffering and in your times of difficulty, do you have hope? Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Can you say from the depths of your soul, it is well with my soul? Here's what happens sometimes at church, whether we're meeting online or we're meeting in person. It's easy for us to many times kind of hide behind uh, the security of a screen or maybe just the security of not having to be vulnerable. But I wonder today as we listen to the words of this song as it's played, if we might be honest and say, you know what, it's not well. But today, could we make a declaration and would you join us in doing this? As this song is playing, if you're suffering right now, whether you're suffering with a broken marriage or a broken relationship, or you're feeling feelings of despair or fear, maybe you're battling depression or some kind of addiction, would you just write as a declaration today, it is well with my soul, even though I'm suffering in this way, and share with us how you're suffering so that we can come alongside you and encourage you and pray with you today. Would you write that as the song is played? It is well with my soul, even though I'm suffering, even though I'm depressed, it is well. Even though my marriage is struggling, it is well with my soul. We would love to come alongside with you, uh, side you and pray with you and share with you the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. So I want you to listen to this hymn. And if you'd like to share with us today, we ask you to just be honest and, and share what you're feeling as this song is played. When peace like a i 
So can you say it is well today? Listen, I don't know where you are, but I want to ask you, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you have the hope of the inheritance that Peter gave to these believers that were scattered throughout the Roman Empire who were suffering persecution? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Has there been a time in your life where you placed your faith and your hope in Jesus Christ? Has there been a time in your life where you gave up on everything that you're counting for a relationship with God and you realize that it's through the blood of Jesus Christ that he shed on the cross and through his victorious resurrection that you're going to have hope of a relationship with Christ? Listen, you will never be born again by being a religious person. You will never be born again spiritually by doing more good things and trying to outweigh the bad. The only way to be born again is to be born again to a living hope that's found through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, I want to encourage you to do that today. If you want lasting hope that doesn't go up and down with your circumstances, that can be found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. I found Jesus when I was a, a teenager. And, and ever since that time, yeah, I've had high moments in my life and had some really low moments. But what I will tell you is this, that my hope has never been taken away. At the very darkest points in my life, I still knew that I was a child of God, that even though I was suffering, that suffering would be temporary. But the joy that comes from knowing Christ is eternal. And that's where real and lasting hope is found. Do you have that hope? I remember when I was on that mission trip in Joplin, Missouri, talking to one man, and I will never forget this encounter. He came into the store that the church had set up, and I sat down with him and Listen to his story. His house was right in the direct path of the storm and he lost everything. He, all of his possessions, cars, his home was just completely devastated. And he and his wife and one son survived by being in the closet of their home. And even though the house collapsed, they were able to be dug out by rescue workers. And I listened to his story and he lost everything. His job that he worked at had been completely devastated. So he had no source of income, no way to pay for what he needed. And I, at the end of his, our time together, we began to shop through the store for some of the necessities. And I got to the end and I asked him the question, do you know for sure that you have a relationship with Jesus? Because what I hear in your story is that you're hopeless, but I want you to know that there's real hope found in him. And that to me is the beginning of where, that's where hope is rooted and found in a relationship with God, a relationship through faith in Jesus. And standing there in that bus barn of that church, he had tears streaming down his face and he said to me, that's what I need. That's what I've been missing. Not the groceries, not the home, not the job. What he needed was hope. And that day, standing in that bus barn, he placed his faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. And the moment he placed his faith in Christ as Savior, it didn't mean that his house was built up. It didn't mean that from that time forward, there wouldn't be any suffering. But what it did mean is that no matter what he faced, no matter what challenge or trial or difficulty he faced, he would have hope because he had a relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you have that hope today? Do you really have hope beyond this life? Do you have hope in this life that no matter what you face, all will be well because your relationship with Jesus Christ is secure? I hope that today you'll turn to him in your heart in faith. In fact, if you, if you need to know more about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we would love to reach out to you and talk to you about it. Would you maybe just comment, I need hope today? And make that comment and we'll reach out and just have a connection. We'll start a conversation to share with you what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Tonight, our church is going to celebrate through a baptism of a young man who found a relationship with Jesus Christ. He places hope in Christ and now he has eternal hope that, that's founded and, and firm in Jesus Christ. Do you have that today? I'm going to pray 
this morning to just close our time together. And if you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, I'm going to encourage you today to give up on what you're trusting to have a relationship with God and find your hope in a relationship with Jesus by being born again spiritually, by putting your faith in what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for the hope that's found in Jesus. Lord, I pray for any person that doesn't know Christ as Savior, that they've never placed their faith in him, that today would be the day that they find that living hope that's found in the resurrection of Jesus. And that you'd give them the courage, if they don't know Christ, to just write, I need the hope of Christ. I need to find hope. I want to find hope. Whatever it is, that they would reach out so that we might have a conversation with them, Lord. Thank you so much for the hope that we have in Christ. There are so many in our world right now that are suffering. Suffering through this pandemic. Suffering through loss of jobs. Suffering through uh, the, the tension that we find ourselves in in our country right now. And, and this world is, is so messed up and I, I just... I feel so much like a stranger and a foreigner here. So Lord, help us to live as elect exiles. Help us to live in the hope that's found in Jesus Christ. And we thank you for that, that resurrection. We thank you for that inheritance that we have in Christ that never fades away, that never perishes, that is guarded by you and in your strength and in your power. And I pray that every person that's listening to this message today might know that hope in their own hearts that they would find hope in Jesus. And we pray this to be done in Jesus' name, amen.